0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. Before this week's episode, just a reminder that you can leave a rating or review for this show even while listening. Simply go to the Apple Podcasts app, scroll to the bottom of this podcast page, and tell me what you think. On this week's episode, I had such a fun chat with Chelsea from Eco-Conscious Consumer, all about her zero waste lifestyle, her incredible love and support for local sharing economies, her perspective on the accessibility of zero waste, and all about her new business, Flipping Curb Vines. Chelsea was so much fun to chat with. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Let's go.
1: Before starting the blog, um, I was working pretty much since I was 19 or 20. I had been working in immigrant and refugee-oriented nonprofit organizations, uh, starting off. Yeah, like starting off with teaching English, teaching citizenship uh, classes so people can pass the U.S. citizenship exam. Then uh, slowly getting into like immigration legal okay. services and know your rights kind of stuff. Um, so that's what I was doing. And when I actually started the blog, it was January twenty eighteen, and I was a really overworked and underpaid immigration paralegal at this tiny nonprofit in the little Pakistan uh, section of Brooklyn. So I really wanted to use the blog as like sort of a creative outlet. And like, you know, in my job day to day, I was meeting at least a handful of people every day who Some of them had very, like, difficult life situations where the Mm. immigration system was just so depressing and broken. But, like, with environmentalism and climate change, even though there's a lot to be depressed about, there's also a lot of hope. Yeah. (laughs) That, you know, you can turn it around. So it was kind of, for me, like, in that type of job every day, learning more about... Uh, Zero waste and climate change and things like that was kind of like, you know, a positive outlet.
0: Oh, that's nice. That's so good to have (laughs) something that you're looking forward to in your day. (laughs) I know what that's like to be like, my job is separate from my passion and it's not as fun. Yeah, Yeah, for
1: some people it's a sandwich, for other people it's a blog.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I need something that brings me joy, so... (laughs) It could be that sandwich that I had at lunch, yeah. (laughs) So you started your blog in 2018, and it's called Eco-Conscious Consumer. How did you decide on the name?
1: So I realized after starting the blog and getting into the ecosphere of Instagram that consumer is actually a dirty word. But when I chose the name, it was based on my, so my education background, I was a double major in undergrad in Asian Studies. And economics. Mm. So, the term eco conscious consumer in my mind, when I started the blog, it was coming from an economics perspective of how consumer demands can influence what's being supplied you know, things of that yeah. nature. And later, we need to understand that, you know, that even though there is something to that, it can also be kind of a naive point of view because as long as there's poverty and as long as there's people living paycheck to paycheck, those people will never be able to choose what's eco-conscious if it's more expensive. So, wow. you know, now I'm like, I have a more nuanced view, but, you know, starting out, I'm like, I can vote with my dollar and I'm going to change the world. But It's like, yeah, but what about like one third or whatever percentage of the world that, doesn't have this economic privilege to change the world. Yeah. So that was why I named it that initially. And I also liked it because eco could be both eco-like environment and also eco-like economics. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I like how you have explained a little bit more about how there can still be barriers to being an eco-conscious consumer be it uh you know access to certain things it doesn't have to be um just a, an income level barrier it could also be mm-hmm. that be that you don't have access um, to certain types of stores
1: privilege of time you know some people have yeah. more free time where yeah. they can diy everything and other people don't have that time so yeah exactly there's like- a <laughs> A lot of barriers to access, like you were saying.
0: Have you been able to kind of come up with a new mission statement almost that's, or a definition of how to be an eco-conscious consumer in order to help people who are feeling those barriers who are present?
1: Well, I don't want to sound arrogant and say yes, but... <laughs>
0: But, Tell me um, a brilliant I answer. Mean,
1: <laughs> there's kind of like, you know, there's the mainstream understanding of what eco-conscious consumer means, and it means you're buying everything organic, you're buying everything from the farmer's market, which is great, you know, if mm-hmm. you do, um, but everything is plastic free, um, everything is ethical, everything is fair trade, and of course, you know, there are barriers to that location, not having access to those kinds of stores or those kinds of products. Obviously, economic barriers, time barriers, you know, that all play into, like, class and privilege. But then, at least in my personal life, the way that I'm getting around, you know, the things I can't afford is I prioritize secondhand first. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's great for the environment. And it's also wallet-friendly. Yeah. Trying to grow as much of my own food as I can. Yeah, uh, cool. You save a lot of money that way. I mean, I started out with just sort of, like, propagating green onions, you know, just putting stuff in water and watching it regrow. And now, even though we live in a 700-square-foot apartment, there's a sunny concrete slab on our driveway that I have started slowly putting, like, potted plants like I have a potato not a potato I have a tomato plant and a lemon tree and I'm like slowly making it happen I even told my friends and the people in my building like hey we can make this a community garden like we don't have to tell the property owners Um, so slowly growing more of your own food Um, because you know if you can afford a CSA great but if you can't then growing your own food is it, d- it doesn't get more local than that you know mm-hmm. that's like the as hyper local as it gets yeah um yeah so just secondhand first and growing your own food okay. and then the one that I'm actually most enthusiastic about is sharing economy yes. um,
0: Woo-hoo. Everything's
1: free. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sharing economy I love sharing economies because of how accessible it is for people and how you don't have to have money and you just need to know people and it gets you out into your community it builds stronger ties that way like i think it's just so smart to share what we already have and it goes beyond just buying secondhand you can just borrow your neighbor's rake and if you have nice yeah. neighbors like mine, like maybe you don't have nice neighbors and you have to build those relationships with people farther away from you <laughs> than just next door. But I just yeah. borrow Gloria's rake anytime we need to because we just keep it propped up on the fence in between. Or I go and borrow yeah. John's weed whipper. And it's really, here's me explaining why it's so great when I want to ask you why <laughs> it it's is so great. so
1: great. I yeah. mean, you're right. I mean, every household doesn't need its own Lawnmower. Every yeah. household doesn't need its own drill that they use once a year. So, this yeah. is all like consumerism and these companies trying to make as much money as possible by convincing people that every household needs one when like you said you know neighbors who live in the same you know one square mile radius they can share these things it's not like they're using them every single day and right people have things that are just collecting dust and aren't being used and then Mm. there's someone right down the street who could use it yeah sharing economies like the more formalized ones like buy nothing and next door and free cycle like those are so great and then even if people don't have access to those, you can always start, like, a more informal one. Mm-hmm. Um, in our apartment building in Brooklyn, before we moved to Atlanta, we lived in this building that was, like, I would say majority of the people who lived in the building were immigrants who spoke Russian, so they were either from Russia or they were from former SSRs that, or Russian-speaking. And one thing I loved about that building, and I hadn't seen it in any other place that I'd lived at, was at this window, uh, It was. it's kind of like a window seat, mm-hmm. uh, right in front of the front entrance of the building was like the unspoken free spot. And there was always free stuff there. Like That's people awesome. would always put stuff there and then someone would take it we took things, we put things there, uh, other people took the things we put there. <sighs> we were just like, oh my god, why doesn't this exist everywhere? Um, so <laughs> then when we got to this apartment building, it didn't have it. But And the only shared spaces that we really have are, we have a laundry room. It's really a shed <laughs> with <laughs> two laundry machines in it. So we have our laundry shed and we have our mailbox. And then I guess now this like makeshift community garden. So I started putting things in the laundry room as yeah. like a... As great. a more informal and, sharing yeah. And oh, then clothing, clothing swaps. Yeah. Clothing swaps, potlucks. I mean, all those things are sharing economy. And they're just great.
0: They're so great. In your own low-waste, zero-waste lifestyle, maybe give me a sense of what that looks like on a regular basis and maybe a little bit of how that has changed since the pandemic has come about.
1: Okay. So it's mostly me asking Hamza why he put something in the trash. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, so we do have like a little waste sorting area as far as like waste is concerned the top tier of this little tower we have is compost um, and we use compost now it's a pickup service that's down here yeah we wanted to drop off at a local community garden but when we got here we didn't have a car yet And it was like a half hour bike ride to and then from another half hour. So we did it once and then we were like, all right, we're going to do the pickup service. So we have that and, you know, they take everything. They even uh, have capacity to take compostable plastics as well. So it's like very privileged to have that access. And then um, after that, the next tier of the tower is all the curbside recycling, which the curbside recycling here is a little bit limited. Like they don't take glass. They don't take aluminum. They don't take cartons. It's very limited.
0: <laughs> I mean, they'll
1: take glass, but it's going to be crushed in landfill. It's not going to be recycled. So. What? Glass I know. This is, like, the most
0: easy thing to recycle, isn't it? I don't know. I don't actually know anything about recycling. The South,
1: I'll tell you. It's because, like, you know, it, this is, like, red state land, and so, like, if it's not profitable, it will not be subsidized. Because glass recycling is not really that profitable, even though from, like, a chemistry perspective it's easy to do, but they won't make a profit That's why. It's not being done. Even in my hometown, Montgomery, Alabama, when I was a kid there, they had a recycling program. And now, present day, they have no curbside recycling at all because they said it wasn't profitable. That's what red states are like in the U.S. What they do take here in Atlanta is... I see your eyes are just like...
0: I'm just like... Oh, my God. My mind is blown. <laughs> but I, I believe that it's happening in parts of the world. I understand. And I <laughs> mean, like, the recycling in Peterborough is probably so poorly done. Like, the people putting stuff in the recycling bins are not doing it well enough that it's mm-hmm. profitable for them. So I get why they've stopped. But it just it just shocks me for people who are, like, trying to make a difference and sorting their recycling and washing it. And... Yeah. Anyway, go <laughs> on. fact,
1: very depressing. But here we <laughs> take paper, cardboard, cans, okay. uh, plastic bottles, but they only take numbers one and two plastic. And then one time I was told by someone who would know that they do take five. And then another time I was told by the same person that they only take one and two. So I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I'll just only put one and two then. And then the third tier, so the first tiers were compost and curb recycling. Then the third tier is for this special drop-off center in Atlanta called Charm. It's it's an acronym, stands for Center for Hard to Recycle Materials. And so you can take your glass that. there, you can take styrofoam there, and they actually, I've seen their machine that processes it. They like, I don't know exactly what the right word is, but it gets compressed. Maybe compressed is the right word. <laughs> um, and then they use it for insulation, for building. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And, Chick fil sponsors it so that they can make excuses about their styrofoam cups. Um, <laughs> and then they take pretty much anything uh, and everything. Like, you know, name the waste stream and Charm takes it. I mean, they even take cigarette butts and they'll be turned into like benches and stuff. Like, it's crazy the stuff that they no. take. And then uh, the last tier on our waste stream thing is terracyclables, stuff like like chip bags or. Yeah. Uh, like the beauty waste stuff and then like in the freezer I've got like a little oversized yogurt bin where I put stuff to make vegetable vegetables yep. like what is it called stock. veggie stock yeah and, <laughs> and then under the sink I've got a place where I'll, I'll soak like my lemon and lime peels and vinegar I mean those are like you know the day-to-day wow.
0: like
1: your waste things
0: do you own a garbage can at all
1: like, oh yeah no we have oh, a garbage can okay. too i mean there are some things you have to throw away you don't want to wish cycle them so good yeah. for
0: you oh my gosh that's that awesome too?
1: on the side <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you <I> said that.
0: <laughs> I was ready. I was ready to believe that you were like actually living a zero waste Bea Johnson thing. No. Like that was cool. I don't
1: think anyone does. Even if they say they do, I don't believe it. So Aww,
0: no. you can yeah. believe it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe if they are like living in some like mountain village or something where they don't buy anything that's made for thousands of consumers. <laughs> yeah, something. wrapped in plastic. <laughs> right for mass consumption.
0: yeah. Crazy. Well, that's awesome. Have things changed much because of the pandemic or are you still able to do your usual thing?
1: So because of the pandemic, people kind of have hoarded things. So like we used to get our eggs from the grocery store. And then when, you know, I went to the grocery store one time and there were just no eggs. Just the only eggs that were left were the quail eggs. And I was like, like, what are are these people doing (laughs) with all the eggs? Um, so we did have to buy eggs in plastic, but then I was able to poke around on our Zero Waste Facebook group for Atlanta and find a a local, like, backyard oh, awesome. a person, so I just picked up eggs from her. Thankfully, we still had a lot of toilet paper left, so... <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's... I think everyone's experienced setbacks, but, yeah. um... <laughs> we'll go through it. Yeah. So,
0: you have taken... Your blog, Eco Conscious Consumer, and turned it into a business. Like you've registered it? Is that the process that you had to go through?
1: Yeah, registering Eco Conscious Consumer as an LLC, it was really born of necessity um, because when the uh, pandemic hit, uh, what I was doing for my main source of income at that time. Was tutoring for neurodiverse undergraduates at Georgia State University. Doing virtual tutoring for uh, neurodiverse students who have special needs is not as accessible for those students and not as effective mm. for those students. And being a tutor is—you're in the gig economy anyway, so it's an unstable, you know, thing anyway. But then, you know, with social distancing and COVID nineteen, I just—I couldn't see my students and virtual was not you know yeah. an option that you know we could mutually agree on so um I was like well I guess now's the time
0: yeah
1: <laughs> trying to register eco-conscious I mean I'd already kind of been doing the work anyway really? um like I had already been flipping curb finds um or going curb hunting to I flip I
0: love that I um, want to ask you about that
1: and I'd already been doing like you know eco-conscious consumer as far as like Being able to pay any of my bills with it, you know, it's kind of like several things. And I had already been doing those things before registering it as a, you know, as an LLC. But I just thought, okay, you know, now's the time. Now that this has happened, now's the time to make it official. And then by making it official and spending all this money to get it registered, it's kind of like pushing me also. Like, okay, now that... It's like when you buy a gym membership.
0: Yeah, now you actually have to go to the gym. Yeah, now I really (laughs) have to go. So tell me a little bit about... Just because lots of people want to take their passion when it comes to saving the planet but also have a side hustle or a full-time job of some kind. And so I would love to know a little bit more about what eco-conscious consumer um, offers as a business and a little bit about maybe the process of becoming in a registered business, if that's not too boring. (laughs)
1: Okay. I went to legal zoom and figured it out on there and that was how it got registered. So for that part squared away, legal zoom. Um, Okay, and then we'll, sorry, could you say again the first part?
0: Yeah. So, what kind of ways you mentioned flipping curb fines? I just want to know like all the different revenue sources. So
1: I'm gonna pull up my spreadsheet so I can uh, so I don't leave anything out. The main revenue stream is secondhand sales, and that is primarily through uh, the curb fines. So we go curb hunting at least once, sometimes twice a week, because in our neighborhood, trash day is Tuesday. So in our neighborhood, we go out on Mondays to see what's around. Um, there's a neighborhood that's adjacent to us, and their trash day is Friday. So if Monday really didn't go well, then we'll go over there on Thursday. Then there's also secondhand fashion. So I have friends and acquaintances who will consign their clothes with me on Poshmark. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so that's secondhand sales is probably the strongest source of revenue or income. Um, The second is uh, business-to-business or B2B digital marketing services. Okay. Um, I'm doing some pro bono with this organization called Brown's Mill Urban Food Forest. Oh, cool. Yeah. They're located in South Atlanta. Um, It was put there on purpose because that's one of Atlanta's many food desert areas. So there are a lot of fruit and nut trees wow, on the property. Cool. And then they're growing a lot of their own herbs and vegetables. And they have like mushroom logs. and Wow. You know, yeah. So it's like an effort. Um, this is actually through the mayor's initiative to create more fresh food access. Because I think it, at, at some point, Atlanta was one of the worst cities in the U.S. for food deserts. Wow. So they're So they were like, wow, that looks really bad. We should fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so now there's a food forest and it's like you know it's based on principles of permaculture um wow. super cool so i just have been volunteering with them like on their newsletter and stuff like that amazing so and then i've also had a lot of direct contributions on ko-fi which is like patreon but, yeah.
0: yeah
1: yeah that's um, great
0: people can uh listeners can support us both on coffee actually.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, I will support you right after this. Okay. And then, you know, last year I did some sponsored content, but this year I really haven't done any. And really, I don't think that people on Instagram like sponsored content. I think that they like distrust it. So, I'm kind of like, okay, then I guess I won't do that anymore. And I do have like one brand that um I'll get like a 5% commission on sales. It's like a compostable plates company. Okay. So my yeah, so my main approach is just whenever I encounter a restaurant that has really awesome food, but the worst to go packaging is I'll send them a little email and say, mm, you know Yeah. Get more people like me to come eat at your restaurant if you had better <laughs> to go where like and then here's my here's this link. Like yeah. But but realistically have I made any money? Like, no. You know, I made <laughs> 72 cents. So. But have you
0: made a difference? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: maybe. I don't I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, those are all the revenue streams, but really the secondhand sales is the best one.
0: That's awesome. Tell me more yeah. about your secondhand sales. So you are flipping curb finds? Are you just finding them and able to resell them? What kind of platforms do you uh, post your stuff on? Uh, literally had to, like, run an errand the other day, and it was the day before trash day or the evening before trash day and I was like goggles on like looking <laughs> everywhere anything that's like sitting by the side of the road you're just kind of like hmm is that flippable what is that thing over there is it wrecked and it was like this wicker chair that was missing a leg and I was like that's beyond my capacity right now and doesn't fit in my trunk yeah never mind <laughs> uh,
1: that happened to me too where I'm yeah. like well I don't have the skills yet So yeah. too bad um, but tell me about it yeah so here, most people are on Facebook Marketplace, mm-hmm. so that's where I list everything just so that I don't get too discombobulated, you know, switching between a million apps. But really, the, I mean, that is where the people are here. Like I'm saying, like on Mondays, we'll go around this neighborhood and whatever we see that we can fit in our car that is in, you know, a good enough condition that someone might actually use it, you know. Right, yeah. You know, there are just some things that you can't save. I mean. I don't know if you've ever watched this uh, British show called Money for Nothing. No.
0: Oh my god, you
1: would love it. So it's this woman who she literally goes up to the landfill and wherever this is in the UK, people bring their stuff straight to the landfill as opposed to having a third okay. party come pick it up and dump it there. So she'll she'll like, go approach these people as they're about to throw something in and she's like, Oh, what do you have there? Oh, do you mind if I have a look? And then she's,
0: She's got a camera like, crew with her, so of course they're like, uh, sure, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, you know, she fixes it up, and she sells it, and then she knocks on the person's door, and she's like, yes, here's the money from the thing you are about to throw away. <laughs> but I just love it. Um, I'll send you the link to it. But there yeah, yeah. So that's what, I mean, I'm very much inspired by this woman. So um, <laughs> we fix things up. I mean, there are some things that, you know, Hamza and I don't have the skills to repair um but as far as like you know I can sand things and paint things I can figure out how to put on a wood stain I can reupholster a seat of a chair so you know those things are easy if it's like a whole fabric chair then no that's out of my wheelhouse yeah
0: but cool so then you're able to just post them up so I've talked a little bit about buy nothing groups and that sort of thing but do you often have a problem of people just not following through with purchases? Because I find that okay. is is the annoying thing with Facebook Marketplace or in Canada we have Kijiji or there's Ooh. Craigslist. All of these different platforms. That's so annoying. <laughs> Ugh.
1: That happens all the time. So you just have to be patient and trust that someone is going to come along. I mean, and you can renew your post. I think it's like every seven days you can renew it so then it will get bumped back up. And you'll want to use hashtags that will help people find it because they're typing into the search bar of Facebook Marketplace for the things that they're looking for. Right. So if you have that tagged, then you know it's going to show up in their search. And I always try to include like a pretty nice description um, if there's enough to be said about it. I mean, if it's really simple, it's like, okay, this is a metal spring. Like, what can you say about it?
0: But um, <laughs> you've resold a metal spring.
1: Yeah, I found a chrome-plated metal spring. Just uh, last week, and it was right next to an unopened general electric shower filter that you attach to your shower head, and it's going to filter the water before it
0: showers
1: cool. you. Sure. Um,
0: before it showers sure. you.
1: Right. They were just right next to each other, and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to, I mean, it's, I don't want it to go in the trash. Like, I guess I'm going to figure something out with it. I mean, even <laughs> if I have to post it for free, then, you know, yeah. that's Right. Like sometimes I'll pick something up with some hope, and then I'm like, nah, no one's going to pay anything for this. I'll just give it away for free. So, And that's fine, too. I mean, you're diverting waste, and that's important, too. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. When you're picking stuff up, you said this a little bit, and mm-hmm. trying to decide, is this salvageable... Is this something that I have the skill set to fix up and bother lugging home? Like, what's kind of the question and answer period you have with yourself to decide whether or not this is worth your time? Because this is an income source, so you would put more effort into it than somebody who's just kind of out on a walk and they're like, do I need this thing? nah, like, I don't need it personally. They don't think maybe beyond that and say, well, somebody else might need it if I can fix it.
1: It takes me about, you know, probably at most 45 seconds of looking at it and, like, turning it around, like, where I'm like, okay, this is salvageable or this is totally, totally gone. And even if it's something that I can't fix, what if I could sell it to someone who can fix it Mm -hmm. and I sell it to them for a low price? So, like, I have these really beautiful vintage cane chairs that i found the other day and there's something you know like there's some piece of wood that kind of like fell off of it that needs to be put back on or whatever and maybe it could be sanded down and you know retouched or refinished if i'm not fully confident in my own ability to do that i mean i can still sell them for 10 or 15 dollars a piece and then they can do it you know right yeah
0: do you find there are a lot of people
1: who look for fixer uppers so that they can get a deal so
0: that's great yeah I was gonna ask if there's a lot of people in your audience who are interested in looking for things that are like a fixer upper project
1: absolutely yeah actually a a local friend of mine who um we found each other on instagram and probably been friends online for year Um, she actually messaged me about some of the stuff I posted and she was like hey I'm trying to refurnish our new apartment with all secondhand stuff so can I buy some of these things from you and I was like yeah that would be great Um, and, yeah, I mean, especially, like, young people who don't have, like, a huge income. Um, you know, they're definitely, like, people are definitely willing to uh, fix something if they're able to fix it, uh, if they have, you know, those experiences, especially mm-hmm. if they're a great deal. And, they, and then they can say, oh, look, you know, I saved all this money furnishing my apartment secondhand. Like, I got $2,000 worth of furniture for $300. Like, yeah. you know... <laughs> we actually did when we moved into this apartment last june i actually tracked all the stuff that we got second hand and i found like the original retail versus and it was about two thousand dollars worth of furniture maybe like eighteen nineteen hundred that we only paid three hundred for so it's like it's
0: great
1: you feel so smart (laughs) yeah
0: yeah you're just like i'm a genius i didn't spend like any money
1: Exactly.
0: Tell me a little bit more about uh, the sharing economy in your area and what that's been like participating in that and trying to become more involved and any maybe any tips as well for how to get involved in your own local sharing economy.
1: When we first moved here, uh, we plugged into our local Buy Nothing group. Um, so Buy Nothing is fairly active down here. And then right after I joined it, uh, our admin was moving out of the bounds of the group. So she needed volunteer Admins. So me and another member raised our hands and we said, okay, we'll co-admin. So we co admin for a while and then she had a lot going on with her life and stuff. So now I'm adminning solo. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? But, um, why nothing can be a lot to maintain because you have all these member requests and you have people just breaking the rules left and right. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I actually admin uh, the Buy Nothing In-Town Northeast group in Atlanta, and um, but there's that's not the only sharing economy that exists here. There's also, there's a group here called Homestead Atlanta, and they actually do a food swap four times a year um, cool. at Wrecking Bar Brewing Pub. I went one time and it was amazing. Like I came with like my little piddly uh, baked goods, but then I got to trade it for like pickled okra and quail eggs and veggies and herbs that people grew in their garden and like microgreens and it's just
0: like so cool. Oh, that's amazing. So how did that work?
1: Um, so you just show up with this, with whatever food you brought that you either grew it or you made it. And some people are like very fancy and they've got like tomatillo salsas and mason jars and stuff like that. (laughs) So yeah, you show up and then you put your stuff somewhere. Uh, there's a little piece of paper in front of each person's little station. So then once it starts, like they're going to let you know that it started, then you go around and you write your name on the slip of paper for each thing that you're interested in. And then when the time is up, then you look at who is interested in your thing. So you go to your station you see who wrote down their name on your slip of paper, and you hope at least one person did. Um, (laughs) And then you go to them and you're like, okay, great, here's... Here's this thing. Oh, thanks. And yeah, it's amazing. Oh,
0: cool. and very, very cool. <laughs> that sounds and awesome.
1: So awesome, right? Like, I could not believe it. My friend Aliza told me about it. And then uh, there are clothing swaps that happen here, too. So there's a young woman who lives in Atlanta named Ree. Uh, she has a blog named Port Negrita, and she has been doing clothing swaps. Like, she actually founded the Zero Waste uh, Atlanta Facebook cool, group. And wow. You can- yeah, she pretty much introduced zero waste to Atlanta like wow. years ago. And so she has organized many clothing swaps. One of her friends and I like we uh, collaborated on a clothing swap this past January. Yeah. Um, and her name is Stephanie. She she runs or she co runs a homeschooling collective in southwest Ooh, Atlanta. Awesome. Wow. So, so the clothing swap was really like for the parents, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And I'm once this pandemic is over, I cannot wait for more clothing swaps and like organized clothing swaps because like, there's just so much clothes. Like, <laughs> no one should ever buy another new item of clothing every like. There's just uh, so
0: much clothes. Like, I know, I know. There's so much out there, and it needs to it needs to be shared with people like what you're doing with the stuff that just doesn't suit your life anymore you don't know how to fix it you put it out on the curb and you're ready to be done with it putting it out on that I find that the curb or the boulevard is kind of like this no man's land that anybody if you've left like don't leave stuff that you actually want to keep on that spot because uh, you're just like, is this for free? I'm not really sure if somebody's put this out yeah. for someone to take. So like, yeah, like that's kind of the zone where you can leave things to share, and I think that that's so awesome that um, that that kind of unspoken rule exists. And yes. yeah, I feel like more people need to get out there and try it <laughs> because there's such an abundance of stuff that people don't want anymore that somebody else wants. I feel like I should no, ep- name absolutely. this episode like "One Man's Trash Is." another human's treasure
1: (laughs) absolutely yeah and that's why one thing i've also seen that's kind of it's related to sharing economy is people will post curb alerts so um in buy nothing and also in next door do you guys have next door up there
0: probably up there Um, (laughs) like oh you're like hitting your broom (laughs) on the (laughs) ceiling (laughs) up (laughs) there in Canada yeah like probably um, (laughs) i've heard of it
1: (laughs) So I've seen yeah people will post like on buy nothing and nextdoor and even sometimes on uh craigslist or mm-hmm. facebook marketplace they'll post curb alert I saw this in front of blah 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 and then oh, someone goes and gets it. Wow. That's and if great. I have a really miserable curb hunting session then I'll go look at the curb alerts and see.
0: Oh that's great. Or if you find a piece of furniture like I think you posted the other day that you found this big armoire piece of furniture that's that's not, not something that everybody has a vehicle for um, to yeah. be able to bring home with them even if they do really want it and so to be able to say a curb alert somebody go grab this if you have a truck or anybody sharing economy borrow a truck to be able to pick something like that up
1: yes absolutely yeah a lot of the time if it's something that I don't have storage for it yeah. or I can't fit it yeah I'll just be like hey buy nothing neighbors curb alert
0: mm-hmm. how do you prevent yourself from bringing home all the things uh, <laughs> <laughs> having like an excessive amount like we've talked a little bit um with uh other people about buying vintage or maybe on poshmark i have a friend who um did an episode with me about um her experience with poshmark and reselling things and how you try to like not buy all the things and have like this hoarded abundance just in the hopes that maybe someone will buy it um like what are your tips for deciding what to keep and what to not keep
1: yeah first of all if you have no place to put it and it's just gonna be like in your living room or something don't because that's gonna sacrifice your sanity (laughs) and it's just not worth it um if something is just like you know it looks a little bit dirty and you think like you feel pretty confident that you can clean it go ahead and take it but if you are not confident and you're just like well maybe but Mm -hmm. you're not really sure I mean don't do it because i picked up things and then, yeah, no one, no one bought them. No one even wanted them for free. So <laughs> we're, we kind of learn, we kind of learn that you're like, okay, no, this is too beat up. No one's yeah. going to no be interested. It's not worth my limited space to store right, it. Yeah. So yeah, you kind of just pick the best things first. And yeah, like I think one time I got, it was around Christmas time, before Christmas, um, I got this, like, wooden thing that was painted and it had all these, like, direction signs that said, like, North Pole, (laughs) Santa's house, beer grazing, or something like that. (laughs) And I was like, oh, someone will totally buy this. And then no one did. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it for money. Nobody wanted it for free. (laughs) But then there's other things that will surprise you. Like, I was on a walk. I wasn't even looking for things. And uh, someone had set out this two-barrel cereal dispenser, like the kind that you see in um, hotel breakfast stations. Where you turn the knob and the cereal comes out sure. and it had a little sign said free and I was like no one's gonna buy this but it's small I'll try it like yeah. it looked nice you know like it didn't like it was clean and you know mm-hmm. so I took it home um and I was like yeah this is probably gonna sit for a few weeks but then like I got like 20 messages like the same 24 hours that I posted it so <laughs> really like you'll be surprised what people are interested in I mean yeah. Yeah, and especially if it has, like, any kind of brand name, then mm. people just feel better about it. Um, yeah,
0: and if you're able to take, like, nice photos and have a good description, like you said, then that does probably help in the reselling process. And, absolutely. Yeah, and because this is a business, like, are you quick to respond to people messaging you? Because I'm sure that helps, too, right?
1: Yes, um, and you'll get rated on it. So on Facebook Marketplace, like, it will show your ratings for you know various things like if you're quick to respond i mean i'm not completely glued to my phone okay. will tell you that i am <laughs> um but yeah i mean i check it probably like every two hours minimum to see what you know what messages i've gotten yeah and then respond back and always you know very polite and complete sentences complete words like yeah. no abbreviations no i mean sometimes emojis because you know nice but but um, <laughs> uh, yeah i mean so it is important to respond quickly otherwise you know you you will get rated on it
0: so mm-hmm. yeah because if not the
1: sharing economy like how people can get plugged into so yeah. if they don't have buy nothing or if people don't have buy nothing or next door or any of those mm-hmm. at their disposal i mean it's still very easy to start like a smaller informal sharing economy even if it's like swapping clothes with a couple of friends Mm -hmm. or having a potluck. I mean, those things are all part of sharing economy. It doesn't have to be like this huge, you know, big production.
0: Yeah. And you've actually, with your business too, have been able to find a way to connect with people like when you're giving things away for free or doing the sharing economy online. Uh, which is helpful for right now because people might feel like, oh, I can't really start a sharing economy because I can't go and, you know, visit with my neighbors or have a potluck or do a clothing swap. But there are other ways online uh, to be able to still oh, yeah. build these
1: in, Like small ways. I mean, even if you just put, like, a box of stuff, like, in your laundry room of your apartment building yeah. or at the end of your driveway. Like, I've seen people put, like, a table in front of their house on the sidewalk with books, and they just put a sign that says free books. And yeah. Then, take it and then
0: also when you are putting something out a good tip would be to make sure that you are not just like unless it's putting something out for the trash and uh if somebody gets it before then great but if Hmm. you are going to put a box of something in your laundry room or in the common room of your apartment building or on a popular street corner near your house make sure that you are going back to that and like maintaining it and not just like leaving it somewhere and letting it become strewn about all the books blowing away and that sort of thing because we don't want to contribute to more garbage out in the world
1: exactly that has happened
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh i hate that i hate when like the little free library near my house like the wind blows the little door open or the catch doesn't go down and you find books Ugh, breaks my heart they're all like moldy and mushed in the leaves anyway somebody
1: moved like late summer of last year somebody moved and they left like this huge box just full of random stuff and it it was there for like over a month oh that's a long time yeah so eventually for like I think world cleanup day or something I was like well what am I gonna do for world cleanup day I'm gonna go through this box yeah Like, there were gross things, there were nice things, there was, like, cat litter, and there was cat poop, (laughs) and there were, like, you know, things that could be salvaged if you just really clean them, because now they could have had contact with cat poop, but, yeah, so...
0: Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Uh, Yeah.
1: You can edit that out if it's too gross, like... (laughs)
0: Is there anyone inspiring you in the low waste zero waste community lately that you'd like to share with others uh you mentioned a few already but anybody else that you'd like to share with us
1: well i know you all already follow polly barks and so Mm -hmm. sad she left instagram um
0: (laughs) she'll be back but
1: uh, but ongoing inspiration from Mm -hmm. her um Mm -hmm. from Addie of old world new and then um re of port negrita i've taken so much inspiration from them old world new has so much secondhand inspo and there's some great local Atlanta people, um, Adriana of, or Adriana, sorry, of Outdoor Homie. She does a lot of you know representation in the outdoors uh, cool. kinds of and she started a Latinx uh, hikers group. There's so many. That's um, awesome. <laughs> people can just ask me. They can just send me a message and I'll say, okay, here's everyone you should follow. That's perfect. Um, but, yeah.
0: That's so good. And so where can people find you online to find out more and uh get in touch with you?
1: Oh, awesome. Um so I have my Instagram at ecoconsciousconsumer. Consumer, my website, uh ecoconsciousconsumer.com. I have a passion project called Green AT aliens um, and there's a link for it in the profile of my Eco Conscious Consumer Instagram.
0: Cool, perfect thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was a lot of fun to meet you and you're so much fun to talk to and that was really great.
1: And I was so excited to talk with you because I've been following you for like two years or more. Oh
0: my gosh. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you want to learn more about Chelsea, you can go to her website, ecoconsciousconsumer.com or find her on Instagram at ecoconsciousconsumer. If you enjoyed today's episode, you will probably also enjoy episode 13, Being Normal, and episode 44, Mend Everything. You can find those in our archives, wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to be in touch, I would love to hear from you. Send an email to practicallyzerowaste at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at practicallyzerowastepod, or buy me a virtual cup of coffee over at coffee.com slash Elspeth Callahan. The two-year anniversary of the podcast is coming up, and I would love to have your questions for a Q&A with Teresa, so send them in, and we'll do our best to answer them when the time comes. Hope you have a great week, everyone, getting outside, wandering in nature, doing kind things for other people and for the planet. Have a great week, and talk to you soon. Thank you.